welcome everybody. It's good to be with you today. I hope that you are doing good. Hope you're excited for a fresh new week. But before we start a new week, I kind of have a question for you. How are, how are you doing? I mean, if I would ask you to raise your hand, how many of you are feeling a little discouraged right now? Or maybe some of you are feeling a little bit frustrated right now. Some of you are feeling a little overwhelmed right now. I think a lot of people are feeling a little hopeless right now. I think it's hard to feel encouraged right now where there's so much going on in the world. There's so much going on in the news and the media that sometimes you just feel a little overwhelmed and you wonder, God, what are you up to? I think a lot of us are feeling like probably how Peter felt in the book of John in John 21. It's a story of how Peter and his these friends, they went out to go fishing. They were so frustrated by life, they thought, we're just going to go fishing for a while. They fished all night, and you know what? They caught nothing. That's pretty discouraging. You're trying to do your hobby, and you can't even, that's not even working well for you. But fortunately, they heard a man on the shore, and he said, hey, why don't you try putting your net on the other side of the boat? And what happened? They did it, and they filled their nets. And then they realized that it was Jesus on the shore telling them what to do. And I think a lot of us are feeling like that right now, like, Jesus, would you just kind of tell us what to do? I would really like to hear your voice right now because I'm a little frustrated. I'm a little confused right now, and I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by life circumstances. So Jesus, could I hear your voice? Would you speak to me? We're waiting for that. We want to hear that really bad. Becky and I had kind of a frustrating and a challenging week. Our oldest son, Nick, broke two couches this week. <laughs> I didn't know to laugh or to cry. Some of you don't know, we have three kids. Our oldest son, Nick, is at home and he's with a caregiver. And Nick is a perpetual body of motion. He never stops. He's always rocking back and forth. And when he's happy, he rocks. When he's sad, he's rocks. So we go through furniture a lot. Because eventually you rock enough in furniture, the back is going to go out of the chair or the couch. So buying furniture for us is kind of like going to Meijer. You just do it all the time. So the couch that we had, you know, we it made it through about two years. I mean, it had probably 4,000 staples in it and about six packs of duct tape around it. But it made it two years before the back finally blew out. So here to go buy a couch. So we thought, okay, we'll go buy a couch. But fortunately, Becky's like, okay, let's go to that you know, the resale store, you know, see if we can got to find a used one. Normally that never works that well because they're always to the condition of they're not going to work well in our house. They're half broken anyway. So she goes to Ditto and she finds this couch and it's like perfect. I mean, it, it's the, the color we like, it's the style we like, and it's $125. And it's like, okay, this is going to work well because See, for us, he can't buy cheap furniture because he'll blow it out too quickly. So you have to buy expensive furniture knowing in a year or two you replace it. So we get this couch. We're all excited. Yeah, 125 bucks. We get home. Becky pulls in the driveway. Nick looks out the window. He's all happy like, yeah, you got a new couch. The other one's broken. We get it in the house. And literally, I kid you not, in three minutes, maybe two, another couch gone. I mean, it is held together by a bolt of fabric and about 10,000 staples with my staple gun. And I'm determined I'm going to get more than a day out of use out of that couch. But it's stuff like that happens. And I know that's kind of silly. That's not a life and a death thing. But it's these little things that happen in our life sometimes that make us so discouraged. And it's sometimes a little thing happens on top of a bigger thing and then on a bigger thing. And finally you get to the point where you just feel a little bit hopeless. 
And I think we're feeling that way as a body and as a country and a group of people a little frustrated by what's going on in the world. So I think it's a really good time that we talk about prayer right now. Not the kind of prayer that we're going to make a list and we're going to pray through our list, but in the type of prayer that is the type that you sit down and you talk to God and you experience His peace and His presence and His power through prayer. Because see, right now, we don't need another list. We don't need another list of prayers to do, but we need to rekindle our relationship with God. We can't rely on a list, but we can rely on God. And a lot of times, I think what we do is we determine our relationship with God based on the number of our prayer requests that seem to be answered. And I think God is saying, shift away from that, but let's trust in the relationship that you have with me. Let's trust in my name. So I want to continue to talk about prayer as we talk about spiritual formation. And I know sometimes when you talk about prayer, it's one of those topics you're like, oh man, another one of those things that I'm not that good at, I wish I was better at. And truthfully, a lot of us are like Jesus' disciples. When Jesus asked his disciples to pray, what did they do? They fell asleep. I think we feel like that at times. But you know what? Jesus' life was centered on prayer. And because Jesus' life was centered on prayer, and because we want to be like Jesus, we need to learn how to center our life on prayer. Jesus prayed a lot. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In the next chapter, it says, One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night long. And then in Luke 9, 18, it says, One day Jesus left the crowd to pray alone. And then in Luke 9, verse 28, it says, About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. See, it's very evident that prayer was at the center of Jesus' life. It wasn't just part of his routine. But see, when Jesus would pray, he would actually encounter God and he was transformed. That's why in Luke 9 it says, while he was praying, his appearance even changed. That's the kind of prayer that we want. That's the kind of prayer we're looking at, that when you encounter God so much in prayer, that your countenance changes. And I think that's why the disciples said to Jesus two chapters later, hey, would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us how to pray? Because they wanted to encounter God in the same way that Jesus encountered God. They didn't want to just have a list of things to pray, but they wanted to encounter God. And I think we need to be like the disciples right now and we need to say to Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Do you know the only time the disciples asked Jesus how to do something was when they said, teach us how to pray? They never said to Jesus, would you teach us how to preach? They didn't say, would you teach us how to cast out demons? Would you teach us how to evangelize? Would you teach us how to build the church? Uh Uh-uh. They said, would you teach us how to pray? That's the only thing that they asked Jesus on how to do. 
I don't know why, but this is my theory of why that's the only record of what they asked Jesus to do. Is because those disciples watched Jesus and they knew that the prayer was the source of all Jesus' strength. That they knew if Jesus knew how to pray, that gave him the power to do everything else. And those disciples quickly figured out if they knew how to pray, then they could preach. If they knew how to pray, then they could evangelize. They knew if they went to God, the center of all strength, and said, teach me how to pray, and they could do it, they could do anything. That's why they said, we need to know how to pray. And you know what? I think all of us are feeling like those disciples. I need to know how to pray right now. Because there's too many things that are unsettled in this world. So would you teach me how to pray and draw me into that relationship with you? So Jesus taught him how to pray. You see the prayer, the Lord's prayer is recorded in Luke, or Luke 11 and Matthew 6. So I, I picked Matthew 6 verse 9 today. That's, that's the Lord's prayer we're going to use. I know we all tell a different version, but we're going to go with the King James version where Jesus taught him how to pray. And he said to start and said to teach him pray. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's prayer as a gift. It was a sample prayer that was not to be used as a ritual. Instead, what he did was he gave them an outline on how to experience and encounter God. And I think we often miss the encounter God in our prayer life because we jump right into requesting things from God. And we skip verse 9 that is all about encountering God by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We usually, I think, in our prayer life, jump to verse 10 that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes in prayer, we jump right into, Lord, this is what I need. And that's okay. Prayer should be what we need and asking God for it. But not at the expense of missing verse 9 that tells us how to draw into relationship with God. We can't miss that part of prayer. So today I'm just going to focus on this little verse of our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, see, the prayer begins with, who do we pray to? See, one of Jesus' favorite names for God was my Father. So Jesus wasn't just telling us who we're praying to, but he's also telling us about the nature and characteristics about the one that we pray to. He's saying you're praying to God. And because God is your Father, you know that he loves you because a good father loves his sons and his daughters. And Jesus is also saying that because God is your Father, you know that He loves you, but you also know that He has His best intentions for you. And that Jesus also has His best interests for you. Or God has His best interests for you. And you know because God is a good Father that He is on your side. See, listen to the very verse prior to Jesus telling his disciples how to pray. In Matthew 6, 8, it says, For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. 
Now that is a good father that knows your needs before you ask them. How could a good father know your needs before you ask them? Because he's watching you all the time. Because he's aware of every single thing going on in your life, every minute, every second. So he knows what you need now. He knows what you need next because he continues to watch you. That is a good father. He bends down to listen, but also to watch. So he knows whatever you need. Now, if you had a great relationship with your dad, boy, this makes a lot of sense. But for some people, you had a hard relationship with your dad. Sometimes it's hard to understand that God is a good father. So sometimes a place that we begin in prayer, the first step one is, God, teach me what a good father is. Because I don't know that. Sometimes that's our first step in prayer is God can restore to us the understanding what a good father does. Some of us need to go on that journey. It's a journey that is so worth it because then you begin to understand the love that God has for us in a way that you may never experience without healing some of your wounds from your past. Because when you think about it for a minute, and you think that God is a good father, a good father that loves you and cares for you and has your best interests and always was watching out for you, that just gives you a lot of rest. That gives you a lot of peace. You know, I don't have to see to you striving, trying to figure out how I'm going to do things, how things are going to work out. Because I have a father that's watching me and has my best interest. That's comforting. That's encouraging. I can rest knowing that God is working things out for each of us. And sometimes the first thing we need to learn is that God is a good father. See, the next thing that verse 9 tells us is where God is at. I just love that verse, that God says, your father which art in heaven. It's good to know where God is at. Because God has already come to us and said, I'm your father, so we're like a child. And what is the most repetitive question that your little kid asks you? If you've had kids, or maybe you babysat, or maybe you recently were a kid, what's the question you always ask mom and dad? Where are you? Where are you? What does a little kid always want to know? Where's mom and dad? You know that feeling you're taking care of kids, and they're all playing alone, and you're going to tiptoe away to go do something. The minute you walk out of the room, where are you? Where are you? See, little kids know that they find comfort and proximity to a parent that loves them. And I think what Jesus is saying is it really doesn't change when you're an adult. You still want the comfort of knowing that you have a father that's watching you at all the time. See, Jesus, God isn't just in heaven, this city that is a thousand miles in the city in the sky away from earth. That we're here, he's there, and someday we'll go there and he's watching over us. Uh-uh, God is here right now. See, that word for heaven, sometimes we just translate it like it's another city, but that word is actually a plural word in Greek that means the heavens. Our Father which art in heavens. A better translation for that word heavens is actually our Father who art in the atmosphere. Our Father who is in the air. Our Father who is all places at all times. That is the better translation, that God is omnipresent, that He is everywhere at all times. 
So in the midst of my valley, where is God right next to me? In the midst of my desperation, where is God right next to me? When I get a little panicky and I start to breathe in, what am I breathing in? The presence of God. That's what God wants us to understand, that He is in heaven all around us, that He is in the heavens, that He is in the atmosphere that surrounds us at all times. And that is important for us to understand because so often our prayers are like, God, get me out of this situation and put me someplace else. And God is saying, no, I am in your situation with you. And that's what you need for comfort and peace and joy. And that's the first thing God says to us in prayer is I am your father, I am with you, and I surround you at all times. And that just gives you peace. I love this little quote by uh, St. Augustine, and you can take it home and think about it. And I think it's in your notes where it says, God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God is everywhere. You can't track him down and say he's right here or he's right here. He is everywhere. And that's the confidence God says when you start out in prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. There's a lot packed into those few little words right there. The comfort that he gives us. And then the rest of part, verse 9, is a little awkward when it says, Hallowed be thy name. Because I, my guess is, none of you have ever used the word hallowed outside of the Lord's Prayer. I don't think I've ever said that word in my entire life on earth. And I think a lot of times we're like, I don't know really what that word actually means. It sounds more like the name of a golf course. It doesn't sound like a Bible word. And most translations actually use the word hallowed be thy name. Now the New Living Translation will say it this way. They'll say, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Okay, that helps us a little bit. May your name be kept holy. Now for the next five minutes, my teaching is going to be heavily influenced by a good friend of mine named Robert Heidler. I listened to one of his podcasts recently and, and he talked about the definition of hallowed be your name. And actually I sat there and thought, I really didn't know that. So a lot of what I'm going to be saying is probably just what he has taught me. So I'm just, just throw it out there. This is, I don't accuse me of plagiarism in the next five minutes. This is from him. So what does hallowed be your name really mean? And I think that's, that's kind of confuses us a little bit. What does it mean to, how does it even mean to keep your name holy? I mean, like, how do you keep a name holy? So I think one of the keys to keeping something holy is you use it for its intended purpose. God has given to us his name to use, and we keep it holy by using it for his intended purposes. See, right here is a table. This table is used to hold up this stuff. It's hold up the Bible. It's used in church. This is its purpose right now. This church is being hold, this table is being holy by using it for its intended purposes. If I take this table outside to clean fish on, I'm going to defile this table and I'm going to use it what it's not supposed to be used for. And I think God is saying, don't use my name flippantly. Don't use my name to get things and then to take the things that I give you and then use them in an unholy way. 
God's saying, what I give to you through my name needs to be used to advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God. So that's the number one thing to understand when you're talking about how to keep God's holy is to use it what it was meant for. See, the word holy goes beyond the definition of it's just something without sin or it's perfect or without blemish. The word holy, the definition actually means that something is set apart, that something is separated. To be holy means that something is unordinary. To be unholy is to be ordinary. So God's saying, I'm going to give you my name to use, but it needs to be separate from the way you'd use other names. It needs to be used for the purpose that I give it to you. So we understand that from just something is going to be holy, it has to be used for its intended purposes. In order to do that, we need to understand what does the name of God even mean? What does the name of Jesus even mean? See, throughout the Bible, there's a lot of different names for God in the Bible. So maybe we know all these different names of God in the Bible. But the names of God always reveal his character and his nature. The names of God always tell us more about who God is and how God is, but they also tell us what we can expect from God. And that is a really comforting thing to know what we can expect from God. So that's why it's important that we study the names of God or study the names of Jesus because they help us to understand what does God actually want to do in my life? And that builds expectation. Some people, I think, live through life thinking I'd be a follower of Jesus, but I have no expectation. Sometimes the best way to build expectation is saying, what are these names of God? What are these names of Jesus that he wants us to understand? Because when we understand those, we understand his intention in our life. So when we understand the names of God, we know what he wants to do in our life. And it gives us the confidence as we approach him that even if we ask for things that he says he wants to do for us and they don't happen, we trust the fact that he's a good father and he gives the things that we need as necessary. So what is so special about the name of God? There's, there's, we could do a sermon series from now to the end of the year on the names of God, but we'd not have that much time this morning. So I just want to talk about the names of God, just two different aspects of the name of God is that God's name is power and that God's name gives us faith. So you read in Proverbs 18, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. See, we can run to God's character and and nature and we find our safety. We find our safety in the truth of who God is. And that's why the names of God are important because you understand his names, they bring us safety and confidence. But the second thing that we know about the names of God is that God's name is the basis for our faith. Listen to what Isaiah 50.10 says. It says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God. See, trusting in the Lord is the same thing as to have faith in God. So we know from the name of God we find power and we find faith. And then we also find that faith in his name releases God's power. And a lot of us are looking for that right now. And listen to what Acts 3.16 says, Miraculous healing came through faith in his name. That's how you live the supernatural life connected to God 
is through faith in his name and knowing his names. And any time you encounter the power of God and you kind of encounter the release of his power, it leads to four, which is to honor God's name, is to worship God. When you encounter God, it always leads to worship. That's why Philippians 2.10 says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And Exodus 20 tells us not to misuse the name of God. So we see here this name, how the name of God is for power. It's a basis for power in our life, and it's a basis for faith in our life. But we also see through the Bible that there's three names that God typically refers to himself as. We see he calls himself Elohim, which is the generic way of just saying God. But then God would also call himself Yahweh. This is God's proper name. This is more of his, this is more of his preferred name that he would use. And when he's going to do a legal deal, he consult his name Yahweh. When he made covenant with people, he came as Yahweh. But another name that you heard a lot in the Bible is the name Adonai, which is God is your Lord and Master. And all throughout Scripture, we know all these various names of God, like El Shaddai, which is God is all-powerful. And we know the name of Jehovah Rapha, that the God is my healer. And then God also uses other names in the Bible to describe himself as the rock. You use metaphors. He's the rock or the shepherd. And all these names of God all throughout the Bible are to teach us his nature and to teach us his character because it helps us understand his power and to walk under the influence of God in every area of our life. And when we begin to understand God's name, we understand the nature behind God's name, we start to treat it very special because his name goes from just being common to very uncommon. And you see the specialness of God's name comes out, but you have to understand what that name is. See, God's invitation to know his name gives us security. Because we all have experienced, and the reason we're going to do the book God on Mute is because sometimes our prayers aren't answered. And it can be frustrating, it can be discouraging. But see, God wants us to understand his character because he wants us to understand what he wants to do in our life. Two weeks ago, I talked about three men who prayed a bold and a radical prayer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're sitting outside of a fire that is literally going to kill them. Just being in proximity to that fire is going to kill them. And they had every reason to be nervous and scared. They had every reason to say to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, we changed our mind. You know what? We're going to worship the God you're telling us to do. Those three men did not want to be tossed in that furnace. But what did they say to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3? They said, if we are thrown into that blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship our same God. That's why God wants us to understand his character and nature. So we can pray these big, big prayers that we can have this big faith and hope and confidence that God's going to answer us but then we can be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and say and even if he doesn't do exactly what we prayed for it doesn't matter because we know that God is good and he's faithful and he's kind and he's loving we know that God is a good father with our best interest on his heart and he will do for us what is necessary But we don't get to that place like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, even if, if we don't understand the names and character of God. I want to close today about talking about one name that's above 
any other name. One name that is higher than any other name. And the Bible says that's the name of Jesus. Listen to Philippians 2.9. It says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor, and he gave him the name above any other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the name above any other name. If you can give something a name, Jesus is above it. If you can give a feeling or an emotion a name, Jesus is above it. If you can give a sickness a name, Jesus is above it. There is nothing that is above Jesus. And that is the name that God says you need to pay real special attention to. Because Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua. When Jesus was a little boy, his mom and dad didn't call him Jesus. They called him Yeshua. That would be his Hebrew name. And it's interesting that his Hebrew name means salvation. So you remember in Matthew 1 verse 21 is when the angel was telling Mary should have a son. It says, you are to name him Jesus since he will save the world from their sins. His name is to be Yeshua because he will bring salvation to the people. So what do people need salvation from? See, to fully understand the name Yeshua and what Jesus came to do and the reason why his name is above every other name, we need to understand another Hebrew word, and that is the word shalom. See, shalom is God's perfect will for every person. Sometimes the word shalom is translated as the word peace, but I think it, I like it better trans, translated wholeness, meaning that all of the parts are connected. See, shalom means to be in perfect health, perfect prosperity, and enjoying perfect peace. To be in shalom means that you're safe in your mind, in your body, in your soul. And to be in shalom means you have every single thing that you need and you lack nothing. See, when God created us to live in the Garden of Eden, he created us with perfect shalom, that we had everything that we needed. But as soon as sin entered the world... Brokenness also entered into the world. Suddenly, the shalom that we experienced was broken. Why? Because our connection to God was broken. See, sin brought separation from God, and when you are cut off from God, you are cut off from the source of life. So Jesus had to come back and give us salvation to restore our relationship with God so that we could experience shalom. See, God has one solution to every single one of our problems. And that solution is salvation. And the Hebrew word for that is Yeshua, meaning Jesus. From the very beginning of time, God had planned that Jesus would be the solution to every single one of our problems. And I think it's important to recognize that Yeshua, this Jesus, didn't come into the Bible just in the New Testament. But Jesus was in the Old Testament as well. We see him from the very beginning pages of the Bible. You see Yeshua all through the Old Testament. But what we do is we translate that word through the Old Testament as salvation or as rescue. So sometimes in our English Bible, we miss the significance of seeing Jesus all throughout the Word of God. But Jesus was there on creation day as part of the Trinity 
We see as early as Exodus 15 too. It said, Yahweh, which is the name of God, is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That word salvation is the word Yeshua, the word Jesus. From the minute the Israelites were in the Exodus, it says, God is my strength and my song, and he has become my Jesus. Already early you see in the Old Testament the picture of Jesus, that he would be the one that would rescue the Israelites out of captivity. He would be the one to lead you out of the wilderness. He would be the one to help you overcome every single one of your enemies. See, the Old Testament is just a picture book of how Jesus is going to do it in the New Testament. And then you see in Isaiah 2 a prophetic word about the coming king, and it says, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Right there, surely God is my Yeshua. And then we go on in Isaiah 26, 1, it says, we have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. Right there, God makes Jesus our walls and our rampart. That is a picture of Jesus protecting us at all times. And we know that Yeshua is the source of life. In Isaiah 12, verse 3, it says, With joy you draw water from the wells of Yeshua. That prophetic passage about you're going to draw wells from Jesus. And it reminds you of John 7 where Jesus says, If anybody comes to me, I will give them living water. Even Isaiah is prophesying what Jesus is going to say in John. And we know that just Yeshua brings salvation, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of Shalom and Yeshua. Again, we see Isaiah prophesying that Jesus is going to come to bring salvation, that he's going to come to bring Shalom, that he's going to come to restore all things. In Psalm 91, it's the same where it says, They call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life. I will give them my Yeshua. I will give them my salvation. See, everything God wants to do for us is to give us salvation, to give us Yeshua, to give us shalom, to give us the wholeness to integrate all the parts of us that have been lost and been scattered because of sin's effect on this world. That's the invitation to prayer. Is that you pray to your Father and your Father says, I will give you what you need the most and that is Yeshua. I will give you salvation. I will take the broken and the scattered pieces of your life and I will put them together. But because you know the nature and the character of God and because you know he's a good father, you know that he's going to do that in your perfect timing. It might not be in my timing, but it's going to be in his timing. And the promise of salvation is that by the time you get to heaven, every single thing in your life one day will be restored in heaven. But as we travel with Jesus on this earth, daily we find shalom being restored to us. Every day we experience more and more shalom. And we experience it. Because God is our Father. And He's everywhere. And He bends down to listen to us. And watches us. 
That's what God wants us to encounter in prayer. This dynamic relationship that it's not just request and list. That's okay. But he wants us to encounter Yeshua when we pray. And then we find that transformation like Jesus found in the Gospels. That suddenly his appearance changed. That's what God is going to do for us. Is we walk through this tricky time in our nation and the world. He says, you come to me, your good father. You pray to me, you'll hear my voice, and I'll give you transformation. So God, I thank you today for transformation. God, I thank you today, today that Yeshua is here with Shalom. I thank you that you are the good father, that you give us everything we need at the right time. Thank you that you listen to us, that you bend down to listen. We say thank you for that today. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each of us in this room, to each person listening online. Lord, as Jake leads us in this last song, I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe life into each of us, that you'd breathe refreshment in each of us, that you'd breathe encouragement into each of us. Lord, any person here that is struggling with discouragement, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would infuse them with new strength. I pray, Lord, for anybody here that's feeling a little bit hopeless, that your Holy Spirit would just comfort them and encourage them. God, I thank you that you are all around us, that you are in this atmosphere right now. You're here. You're with us. May we comfort in that. May we understand how much you love us. God, I pray that as Jake leads us in this next song, Lord, that you minister to each person here or online or on podcast. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.